Hi, this is Ellie Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this is going to be on artificial intelligence and the standard of care 2022, which seems like a funny title. So let me tell you a little bit of background. The other night, I gave a talk to the uh, legal side of the world, to risk management and to legal beagles, a bunch of lawyers, very nice, about AI. And their concern was, when will they know if AI is ready for prime time? If you're a risk manager, you want to make certain that safety is the highest priority. When will they know and when should they suspect or expect AI to be there? So it was a 90-minute talk. I did about 25 minutes or so. And then there was one of the people from uh, Microsoft, who's a world-class expert in AI. And then there was a professor from Brooklyn Law School who was an expert in AI, but from a legal perspective. It was a very nice talk. I think I held my own, and I would love to share it with you, but I don't have a copy of it. So what could I tell you? Um, but I thought I would share with you a little bit of an expanded version of the talk I gave. Now, you can see I gave the talk on Wednesday, and I found this article Wednesday morning. In the Miami Herald, not that I read the Miami Herald, but it showed up on my newsfeed, that a Miami doctor decided a breast mass was benign, the woman died of breast cancer, and now he's being sued for a fortune of money. Now, the question is, can AI have helped? Obviously, it didn't help that patient, but looking forward, well, Regina Barzillet, who's a, a computer scientist, at MIT says the answer is yes. And she's been doing lots of work looking at AI and looking at the opportunities of AI specifically in mammography. And there have been a number of studies. Here is one from a couple of years ago, uh, looking at AI for breast scan cancer screening. In an independent study of six radiologists, the AI system outperformed all of the human readers. Okay, that's it, bottom line. This robust assessment of the AI system paves the way for clinical trials to improve the accuracy and efficiency of breast cancer screening. Now, it's not a surprise to me that, that AI should do well with mammography. It's pattern recognition. You're looking at a few images. There's no variation be, between patient A and patient B like there is looking at an abdomen or a chest. So it should be really good. Now, the question, of course, will be long-term. What are you going to see? Are you going to see the computers automatically read, let's say, screening mammography, and then only the ones that has a question the radiologist would read, kind of like pap smears these days? I think that's what's going to happen long-term. In the short term, I think what you're going to have is that the computer with AI is going to be an expert second reader. And in this article published by Van Winkle a few months ago, made the point that radiologists improve their cancer detection and reduce reading time when evaluating digital breast homosynthesis exams using an AI reading support system. So look at the things. Improve detection, that's the key, that's why we're doctors, and reduce reading time. Oh my God, the best of both worlds. You go faster and you're more accurate. That sounds incredible. 
In that same article, radiologists improved their cancer detection accuracy in DBT when using an AI system for support while simultaneously reducing reading time, as I just mentioned. The standalone breast cancer detection performance of an AI system is not inferior to the average performance of radiologists, which means that if you only had AI, if you're in a country which doesn't have enough radiologists or the demand is too high, well, it looks like using AI, you'll be as good as a radiologist. And the use of an AI support system could make advanced and more reliable imaging techniques more accessible and could allow for more cost-effective breast screening programs with DBT. So you look at it, AI has the opportunity to do everything more efficient, faster, lower cost, and more accurate. And there have been a number of companies. Here's just an article I read the other day, ScreenPoint. Medical's Transpara AI Decision Support System can help radiologists identify potential breast cancers earlier and faster, according to a recent article in Radiology. So you could see that things are happening very quickly. This is not something that's going to be 10 years from now. We can argue a year or three or somewhere in between. Now, I'll also show you this case, and this is a little bit more in my area, right? Look at this patient who's been evaluated for abdominal pain and weight loss three different times, and the studies are always negative. And if you look at the axial views, did you see something in the region of the duodenum right there? Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. And I'll show it to you again as we get to the coronal view. Do you see anything? Look at the coronal, look at the duodenum, and look at that enhancing lesion which is either coming off the ampulla or coming off the duodenum. That was missed three different times by three different radiologists, none of them in my division, of course. Here's the images. I picked a couple, coronals in 3D, right, nicely shown there. And you can see it's slightly enhancing. This ended up being a neuroendocrine tumor. Two and a half centimeters, this was missed three times. Yes, it seems to be obvious, and if you use 3D and coronals, you're going to see things a lot better, particularly in this region, which is a very difficult area. But it makes the point, could AI help you in that regard? And if you think about it, we are busier and busier. We have more and more studies. And a point I wanted to make is, it's not just not missing something. Can you pick up things earlier with better scan technology? We want to pick up the smallest tumors so we can get the best outcome. The problem is we're playing a Walter book every day, every case. We're looking at a lot of information, lots of noise. But I'm asking you, where's Waldo? Which means where's the abnormality? Perhaps Waldo was out to lunch. Maybe he went somewhere else. Maybe the study is negative, but... You're looking for something, and sometimes you have a hint, you have weight loss, you have jaundice, you have hematuria, you have a cough. Most of the time, it's vague symptoms. But if you're really good and you look hard and you have strategy, there's Waldo. So our job is to find Waldo, even though he may be hiding. If the Waldo is 20 feet high, you're not going to miss it, but it's when Waldo is really tiny that we need to find things. Now, this is no surprise. In the Institute of Medicine report, basically they made the point that we miss a lot of things, not just radiologists, pathologists, oncologists, everybody, internists, 
Conservative estimate that 5% of U.S. adults who seek outpatient care each year experience an error. Postmortem exam research spanning decades has shown that diagnostic errors contribute to approximately 10% of patient deaths. Medical record reviews suggest that diagnostic errors account for 6 to 16% of hospital adverse events. And diagnostic errors are the leading type of paid medical malpractice claims are almost twice as likely to have resulted in the patient's death compared to other claims and represent the highest proportion of total payments. Now, we did not speak about malpractice the other night, and I'm not going to speak about it to you. We're just talking about if malpractice went away and there was no malpractice, we still need to detect things at the earliest time possible where we can make the biggest difference. And in this Institute of Medicine article, they made the point as well, we need to figure out better ways. Without a dedicated focus on improving diagnosis, these errors will likely worsen as the delivery of healthcare and the diagnostic process continues to increase in complexity. We all would agree with that. We need something to be different. Now you can say perhaps we'll get better. We'll take more time. Well, if you look at this article, we talk about error rates of 3 to 4%, but if there's pathology present, error rates can reach 30%. 30%. The majority of errors were overreading or underreading, but underreading was the highest thing, 42%, where the finding is simply missed. If you find something, a liver mass, and you say it's a hepatoma, someone else is going to look at it and they may say, no, it's a hemangioma or FNH. But at least you found the pathology and people will then make the right decisions. But if you say the study's normal, there's a good chance no one is ever going to look at that study again till the patient comes back for another study and has increasing symptoms and all things go bad. When you look at this article by Rosencrantz, also made the point when you have uh, addendums on reports, most of the time the addendum is because something is missed. It's not someone said 7CM and you really say it's 8 or it's 30% and it's 28%. No, 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 no. It's simply missed. And that's the problem. Now, you could say, well, what about today? Well, each of us, let's be frank, are reading too many studies. Each of us are reading more studies between 10 and 30% than we did a couple of years ago. Now, if you think reading more studies in the same day is going to increase accuracy, I don't think so. Maybe you're an administrator and you just say it doesn't matter. But as radiologists, we know that beyond a certain point, your error rate, your miss rate is going to increase. And this article looked at that and it found that reading at faster speeds resulted in more misses for four or five radiologists. The average interpretation error rate of major misses among the five radiologists reporting at a faster speed was 26.6% compared with 10% at normal speed. So almost three times the error rate. And they were only reading 10 or 20% faster, which we do every day. Now we need to figure out a way. Johnny Ive made the iPad, the iPhone, the iEverything. Steve Jobs' closest associate at Apple. Our goal is to try to bring a common simplicity to what are incredibly complex problems so you're not aware of the solution. That's what we need to do, and that's going to be AI. Now, if you look at AI, it's interesting what people think. This article is almost six years ago. This was in the New England Journal of Medicine. And in some ways, it was ahead of its time and maybe too far ahead of its time. 
Machine learning will displace much of the work of radiologists and pathologists. These physicians focus largely on interpreting digitized images, which can easily be fed directly into algorithms. Massive imaging data sets combined with advances in computer vision will improve performance, and machine accuracy will soon exceed that of humans. Indeed, radiology is already partly there. Algorithms can replace a second radiologist reading mammograms and will soon exceed human accuracy. Well, I showed you those articles. It's correct in mammography. It's not correct in CT. It's not correct in MR. And this was six years ago, but I think fast forward six years, this article may indeed be correct. They also made the point the patient safety movement will increasingly advocate the use of algorithms over humans because, after all, algorithms need no sleep. Their vigilance is the same at 2 a.m. or 9 a.m. Algorithms will also monitor and interpret streaming physiologic data, replacing aspects of anesthesiology and critical care. The timescale for these disruptions is years, not decades. So this article by Obermeyer and Emanuel, very, very positive on AI. And you have people like Jeffrey Hinton, one of the uh, godfathers of AI, one of the founders who basically thought that radiologists were like Wile E. Coyote in a cartoon. You didn't know you were already off the cliff. He made the point, there's a very good video if you want to be excited, go on YouTube, put a name in and say, Jeff Hinton and radiology. It's obvious that in five years, deep learning is going to do better than radiologists. Maybe it's 10 years but it's going to happen. And indeed, he may be right in many cases. When you look at this article by uh, Banja, this is sort of a more recent article and also a, a very good one talking about predicting the future. And AI is going to be there. Gene therapy is going to be there. Liquid biopsy is going to be there. I added that one. But when exactly is hard to tell. Okay, how well AI models will accommodate ethical requirements related to informed consent, privacy, and patient access are all a challenge. But I do agree we are going in that direction. In this article uh, by Mulek and Cotter, it's important to keep the evolution of AI, machine learning technology, in context so as not to become overly enthusiastic about the current capabilities and simultaneously not to become overly pessimistic about the future. And again, this goes back to the Bill Gates things that people overestimate what's going to happen in a year and underestimate what's going to happen in five years. But these people, Cotter is, I think, the head of AI for Priority Partners out of California and a big advocate of AI in practice, and she's right. The main challenge of uh, emergency medicine, and let's look at emergency medicine as a good example. It's difficult, 24-7 patients come in with all sorts of problems. You don't have every specialist there, whether it's a gunshot wound, whether it's a chest pain, whether it's a fracture, whether it's GI bleeding. The question is, can you use AI as a way of changing processes in the ER? And I don't mean just looking at plane films or CT scans or lab values, but the entire process from admission to monitoring to discharge. How can AI really help? Well, there's four big applications. Pre-hospital emergency management, patients in the ambulance. Patient acuity, triage, and disposition. Think about the problems we have with triage during COVID. Number three, prediction of medical ailments and conditions, again, can it look at lab values and imaging studies and history and come up with a better diagnosis? 
and then of course emergency department management. Four different things, all indeed very important. Now AI in some sense is ideal for the ER where the diagnostic process is compressed in time. So you think about things it could do. Order entry for imaging studies optimized by AI. Image protocoling streamlined by AI. Image acquisition supported by AI. Image post-processing supported by AI. Decision support provided by AI. And clinical decision support provided by AI integration. So in this article by Jalal, every part of the process in the ER can be improved. So if I look at the processes, order entry, can you pick the right protocol for the patient? Is it a stroke patient or a trauma patient? You could decide this in the ambulance. So when they get to the hospital, do they need a CT and MR or an ultrasound? You optimize use of resources and you make sure the resources are available when the patient gets there. That's step two, protocoling. The right study done correctly. In the ER at night or even during the day, you don't have the experts there. Image acquisition. Do the right protocol. Does the patient need in CT a dual-phase protocol? Do you need CT angiography? Do you need non-contrast? Do you need 3D imaging? And right now, people don't do 3D because they don't have the time. Well, AI can do cinematic rendering, optimize cinematic rendering, do volume calculations, and all sorts of measurements that can help you and move the process along. We can triage the patient. Also, in terms of triaging, we talk about apps, and I'll speak about that later, that move the study to the top of the list. If the computer suspects, if AI suspects a brain bleed, it moves this case to the front of the list, and the patient is now waiting 45 minutes for the study to be read. The same thing with pneumothorax or major abdominal injuries. And again, incidental findings will be detected and we manage correctly. And then of course, clinical decision support by AI integration. AI-assisted clinical diagnosis and management decisions, and there's been work on that with sepsis that's been published and is being used. The role of wearable devices, again, monitoring patients. Everything that Apple's doing is to monitor. Google and Nvidia are all doing similar things. Now, if you look at the process, one thing to remember is AI is moving quickly. There are over 250 apps that have been approved by the FDA. And many of them you can see are in radiology and many of them in radiology and outside radiology do impact the ER setting. Now the FDA strategy is not to replace the radiologist, but to enhance the radiologist's role and to help with improving diagnosis, sort of as a helper, but also in terms of triage. And that's a very, very smart strategy on the part of the FDA. The first wave of AI applications is not replacing radiologists. So fear not, go into radiology if you're a med student. It's gonna change how we practice, it'll make us better. If it makes us better, we'll be in fact more valuable. But short term, surely, it's not affecting employment. And Lord knows we are all so busy. We need all the help we can get. So let's look at some of the apps with FDA approval and their impact. But I see I'm running a little bit out of time. So let's take a break right here and we'll stop in a few minutes and I'll see you in a few minutes.
If you like this video, make sure to subscribe to the CTSS YouTube channel. You can also visit us at ctss.com for even more videos, plus quizzes, pearls, protocols, and oh so much more. We're also in the App Store and have well over a dozen apps for iPhone and iPad, all completely free. Thanks for watching.